Yeah, Father, thank you for Johnny. Would you fill him afresh as he comes to speak to us? And as he pours out, would you pour into him? And would we hear your words through him? Thank you that you have anointed him. And that you provide all that he needs. So Lord, may we hear with your ears. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very, very much. And um, well, it's still very nice to be here. And um, although, although the one negative thing is, I can't believe there's some touch rugby, which I just didn't realize. I didn't bring any shorts or trainers or anything. I can't believe that. That's um, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. That's, in fact, we're not. Yeah. Until someone volunteers some shorts, we're not not going any further. Uh, anyway, hopefully, hopefully something will emerge uh, later. So. This, uh, this session, I thought we would talk about um, Elijah. And so we're going to move from, uh, last session we'll talk about problems, uh, this session we're going to talk about pain. And uh, the next session, hopefully, we'll talk about failure. So, um, so we'll, have, uh, we'll have a nice time. Um, so uh, let's look at, um, we're going to look at a passage in 1 Kings chapter, chapter 19 in a moment. We're going to look at this connection between our purpose and pain. Because all of us have a purpose in life. God, God has called us. We have a purpose. And then we all experience pain. Uh, illnesses, bereavements, uh, tragedies, struggles, problems at work, problems at home. And what I want to talk about is how these things are connected. How problems do not need, uh, how our pain doesn't need to be an obstacle to experiencing the purposes of God, but actually how we find purpose in our pain and meaning in the mess. And we're going to look at um, the person of Elijah. And Elijah is someone who, um, up until this moment, prior to 1 Kings chapter 19, he has been very successful. Things have been going very well. Uh, he's raised people from the dead. He's defeated armies. He's called down fire from heaven. He's caused a drought. He is doing really, really well. But now suddenly, he's going to experience a time of acute pain, depression, darkness. And then a new purpose is going to emerge from this. So let's look at 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 1. Now Ahab, so that's the king, told Jezebel his wife, everything Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. In other words, she's going to kill him, and she has the resources to, to do it. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. <coughs> I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. 
He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals on a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. I love this bit. Strengthened by that food, he travelled for 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars and put your, your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And notice that God has already asked him this before. And now he's asking the same question a second time. And um, that's probably a clue that Elijah didn't get the, the answer right uh, the first time. If God has to ask you the same question again, it's because you didn't get it right the first time. This is something that Elijah does not realise because he gives exactly the same answer. He replied, I am very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. And I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Haziel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Mehoah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death anyone, uh, any who escaped the sword of Haziel, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. What are you doing here? This is a question that God asks Elijah, but it's a question that he asks each one of us. What are you doing here? And I think there are a number of answers to that question. Uh, one answer is that you're drifting. Just life is something that happens to you. You're just drifting through life. The other answer is that you're running. You're running from failure, you're running from responsibility, you're running from family, you're running away. The third possibility is you're conforming. What are you doing? Well, I'm doing what everyone else is doing. I'm just doing what I see other people doing. I'm conforming to the people around me. Uh, but of course, Paul will say later in Romans, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world. Conforming. Another option is that we are proving. We're trying to prove ourselves to someone, and whether to ourselves or to, uh, to God, to family. We're trying to justify our lives. And so much of our lives can be this attempt to, to justify ourselves. A little while ago at St Peter's, we were having some uh, work done on, uh, on the loose at the church. And uh, as a result of that, the, briefly, the men's loose and the ladies' loose switched around. But people are people of habit. It's quite hard to get used to these things. 
So uh, one Sunday morning, just before our morning service, I, I went down to what used to be the ladies' loose, but were now the men's loose. There was a sign outside saying the gents. And so I went, it was all um, empty. And so I went in, I went into a cubicle. And for one reason or another, I was sometime. And then, but when I came out, <laughs> suddenly the room was full of women. And they looked at me to think, what, what's the curate doing, doing in the ladies' loose? And you know in those moments, everything in you wants to justify yourself. No, no, no. These are the men's loose now. I'm in the right. You're in the wrong. But then I thought to myself, hang on, no, hang on. I've, I've been justified by faith in Jesus Christ. I don't need to justify myself at all. So I, I simply said, good morning, ladies. And then, and then, I, and then I walked out. <laughs> anyway, justified. That's one of the other things that we could be, uh, be doing. And then there's another option, which is giving up, which is what Elijah is doing here. He's, he's given up. He's had enough. And why has he given up? Well, it seems to be uh, two possible options. One is that he is depleted. He has been giving out and giving out and giving out and not having enough back in return. And there's nothing left. He feels like he's just been sucked dry by life. And sometimes life can feel like that. The, what we're giving out far exceeds what's coming in. We have some great friends at St. Peter's called uh, Paul and Sarah Nelson, and they have three young children. Paul's the worship pastor there. And they're delightful, delightful family, wonderful family. But they came around for lunch the other day, and, well... They ended up pooing on the sofa and being sick on the floor and messing up all the Lego and then they ate all our food and, um, and all they brought round was a bag of salad. And luckily the, the children were very well behaved. But they, and, and sometimes life can feel like that. It's like everything's getting ruined and all you're getting back is a bag of salad. And Elijah, Elijah here is just depleted. There's, no, there's nothing left. And the other possible reason is trauma. So the Queen Jezebel says she's going to kill him. And this is a traumatic event in his life. And again, there can be moments in our lives, um, bereavements, illnesses, the loss of a relationship, the loss of a job, that completely knock us. They floor us. And for Elijah, it was possibly a combination of these two things. The interesting thing about this is um, Ahab's been trying to kill him for years, and he's been totally fine with it. But suddenly Jezebel says she's going to kill him, and something he's been able to cope with up till now, he can no longer cope with, because probably he's depleted. And suddenly he's completely knocked. There's nothing left. And he spirals into this darkness and into this depression. But out of this will come something new and beautiful. But far from disrupting his purpose, actually out of this experience, his purpose will be redefined, reshaped, and renewed. And you see that in the Bible again and again, the darkest times, the most difficult times, are times of the renewal uh, of the people. So when the people of God go into the desert, that's the time where they receive the law from Moses. That's where they receive the Ten Commandments. When the people of God go into exile, exile in Babylon. That's a time of huge amounts of the Bible are written. The Psalms 
are so many of them are, are come through experiences of acute pain. The prophets, times of disappointment and heartbreak for the nation. They're creative times. And in our lives, actually, the painful times can be times where our, our life is uh, renewed and reshaped. This is something I probably feel in my life, the most difficult times have been the most productive times. These have been the times where my purpose has moved, not, not in the high moments, but actually in the low moments. But how does this happen? What, how can we have our purpose uh, reshaped and refined in times of pain? Well, what we see in this story is um, Elijah, what he'll experience are three things. First of all, a new kind of listening. The second, and with that, a new intimacy with God. The second thing is a new community. And then the third thing is a new strategy. And first of all, a new kind of listening and a new intimacy with God. Elijah does something very, very sensible in this time of darkness. He goes to Mount Horeb. And Mount Horeb is the place where God speaks to his people. So even though things are going wrong, he puts himself in the position where he's going to hear from God. And again, we all go through difficult times. We all go through dry patches. But if we can make sure that we keep ourselves in the places where God speaks, then we'll be okay. So to keep reading the Bible, even if we're not getting anything from it. Keep on listening to Tim's excellent sermons, even if you're not getting anything from them. The, uh, keep, just keep being in community. Keep going to group. Just Keep being in the places where, where you know that God speaks to you. Whether it's out in creation, podcast, whatever it is. Just keep in those places. And, and allow yourself to hear God's voice in the brokenness. And Tim Keller is the pastor of a Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York. And tells a story about how when he started, he planted that church uh, many years ago, he said to his wife, Kathy, look, I know how this is going to work. The first three years are just going to be full on. And I know I've got to just pour everything into the life of this church. But then after three years, I'll be much more available to you and to, to the family. And so that's, so Kathy agreed to that. And that's how things went. And the three years came and Kathy said, oh, great. So now you're going to be more available. So I've just got a few more things need to sort out, just a few more months. And then I'll be more available. And the months went by and the months went by. And Kathy tried to talk to him, but it was just always a few more things needed to happen. And one day, Tim came back from, from work, came to his home. And when he went in the front door, he saw the door to the patio at the back was open and he could hear a smashing sound. And he went out and he found Kathy with a hammer in one hand and then their wedding china on a table. And she was just smashing it with, with the hammer. He said, well, what are you doing? And she said, you're not listening. I've been telling you for months now that you've been uh, neglecting me and the family and you're not listening. And this is what you're doing to our family. Smash. This is what you're doing to our marriage. Smash. Well, at that moment, he really started listening. So he got down on his knees. <laughs> as, I'm here, I'm here, I'm listening, I'm listening, I'm listening, tell me. And for the first time in years, he really, really listened to her. And they talked about everything and they worked out a new way of going forwards. And, after, and then they hugged and Tim said, he was just so relieved. He said, when I first heard all the smashing, I thought 
I thought you completely lost it. And she said, oh, actually, no, um, uh, actually, these, I was only breaking the china. We'd already lost, uh, broken the, the cups. And so we didn't need these sources anyway. Uh, so I thought I might as well put it to good use. Uh, but I'm glad you listened when you did. Otherwise, I'd have had gone through the other wedding china as well. Um, but sometimes something has to break for us to really listen to God. And it's in that moment in our life where it feels like there's this real brokenness, that's when we really listen to the voice of God. And notice how God speaks in these times. It's through the gentle whisper. Why the gentle whisper? Because with a whisper, you have to really listen. You have to lean in, you have to still yourself. You cannot hear from a distance. With a whisper, you have to lean in. And God is teaching Elijah through this difficult time a new way of relating to him, a new kind of intimacy, the next level of his faith. Uh, Peter Scatzera. Can I use this flip chart? Is that right? Yes. Oh. Um, thank you very much. So, uh, Peter Scatzera was a, um, is, let's go for blue. If you can, can't say it, just shout. Um, Peter Scatzera is an American pastor uh, uh, operating in New York who went through this time of a real uh, darkness. He uh, was running a church in New York, a very successful multicultural church in New York, and one Sunday turned up and discovered that half his church had disappeared, along with his associate pastor, um, who had been working for months trying to start this rival church, and then started calling existing members, um, the people who'd stayed, telling them to leave the house of Saul and join the house of David. And he found himself um, just um, incredibly angry and wanting to kill his associate pastor. Um, and no amount of saying to himself again and again, rejoice in the Lord always, was going to help. Anyway, what he discovered was that uh, he was actually very emotionally immature. And he wrote this book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, which is a, a brilliant book. But in it, he talks about six stages of, of, of faith the kind of, uh, sort of growing in faith. And so it goes like this. First of all, you have a life-changing awareness of God. So you become a Christian. <laughs> you're filled with the Spirit on an Alpha weekend. You're, you encounter God at Soul Survivor. You uh, decide to give your life to Jesus on a Sunday morning at St. Dionysus. So you some kind of life-changing awareness of God. And then what happens is you start, number two, learning. So you start reading the Bible, you start listening to talks, you join groups, you do Alpha, you're, le you're learning, you're, you're growing in your faith by learning. Which, and then the other thing that's happening is you start serving. You start helping out, serving coffee, trying to abolish slavery. You just start serving, you start living out um, your Christian life. And then what happens is you hit the wall. Something major goes wrong in your life. And this isn't um, that your commute into work is annoyingly long, um, or you have to sit next to someone who's, who talks too much in the office. This is um, something really significant. This is um, um, the rela a relationship breakup, a tragedy, an illness, something that shakes your whole view of reality. And makes you start questioning everything that you thought you knew before. 
And when you hit this wall, you have three options. One is you try and bounce back. You just try and get back to how things were before. Things were much better before this wall. We just want to get back to how things were then. Or you bounce out. You said that Christianity doesn't, I thought Christianity was gonna help me, uh, but it's not helping me anymore. It hasn't protected me from this traumatic event. I just, it doesn't work for me anymore. Or you can go through the wall. You journey through the wall. And then you have number four, which is the journey inwards. Which is where you start re-examining just your whole life. You re-examine the things you've been learning and the ways you've been serving. You've realised, oh, actually, quite a lot has been about me here. Quite a lot of maybe here has been a bit maybe slightly simplistic um, or naive and maybe a bit more kind of centred on myself. And you start this journey inwards. And out of that comes a new way of serving with the journey outwards, where you start serving again, but from a new place of humility and selflessness. And then that leads to what Peter Sketzeri calls being transformed by love, which is where you start deciding to love God not because of what he can give you, but purely for his own sake. And out of that brings a life-changing awareness of God, which then, and then you start learning from there and so from there, and the cycle continues. And this is the key moment of what happens when we hit the wall. And it struck me actually recently reading about um, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. When they leave Eden, God puts uh, cherubim to guard the way back to the Garden of Eden. But they're not supposed to try and get back there, back to the original paradise. They're supposed to head forward to the eternal city. But when things start going wrong in our life, so often we just want to get back to how it was before. But actually, where God is calling us is somewhere in the future. Anyway, so Elijah is exactly here. But through this, he's about to go through a process in which he'll experience God in a whole new way. The loud and the dramatic will become the gentle, soft whisper, the voice of God. And this is essential because the, our purpose is not from within. It's from God. God is the one with purpose. And it's his voice which is essential for guiding our life. And so it's about connecting ourselves to the voice of God. And so often in the hardest times, that's where we connect to, to God's voice in a whole new way. So, a new listening, a new kind of intimacy with God. The second thing is a new community. <coughs> so, Elijah is centred on himself. And when you read this passage, the funny thing is just how much he talks about himself. So, Elijah, uh, God says, Elijah, what are you doing here? And it's just all about himself. I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites, everyone else, has rejected your covenant. Um, I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. It's I, I, me, me. And it's not actually true. In a couple of chapters earlier, we've seen Obadiah has been trying to help him. Um, there are lots of other people uh, who are faithful to the Lord. But 
Elijah's become centred in on himself. And actually, all the way through, he's been used to operating alone. He's good on his own. I don't know whether anyone's um, been getting into the Enneagram. The people have been doing the Enneagram? Yeah, there's quite into these. Um, I haven't actually done I don't know anything about it, actually. Uh, but um, other than that, a friend of mine has been getting into the Enneagram, which seems to be about personality types and how to resolve certain things. Anyway, he told me, uh, Johnny, you're a type five, which is the investigator. And I found this book about what the investigator was and some of the descriptions of it. And it has both the kind of strengths and weaknesses. And so the investigator uh, can get into their own world, likes ideas and concepts, and can then get quite withdrawn, and is prone to isolation, eccentricity, and nihilism. And I thought, um, thank you very much. Uh, and are there no negative aspects of uh, time five? Because I quite like the kind of isolation and eccentricity. I don't know what nihilism is, but sounds great. And, um, and I remember one of the first bits of feedback Tim gave me at St. Diana's was, um, he said, Johnny, have you noticed how uh, during a, serve, a Sunday morning service, everyone's sitting in kind of this area, and then you're sitting in the far corner with your coat on, sort of observing everything else. Do you think it might be a good idea to kind of join in with everyone else. That's a very good point. Uh, but my, my tendency would be towards isolation. And this is Elijah's tendency. It's towards being self-sufficient. He can do it. He's strong on his own. But what God is going to do at this moment is going to teach him a new way of operating, which will be with and through other people. So God says to him, anoint Hazael, um, anoint Jehu anoint Elisha. He's been used to operate on his own, now he's going to be working through community. He's been, before he's been concerned with his purpose, now he's... <laughs> now... <laughs> Are we lost this? You're still there? <laughs> well, now where was I? Uh, now he's going to help other people fulfil their purpose. So he's going to work through other people. One of the most um, interesting books I've read over the last couple of years was a book called A First Rate Madness by Nasir Gayani, who's a professor of history and psychology and psychiatry at the at Tufts University in Boston, I think. And what he, he looks at uh, the mental health issues of some of the greatest leaders in history. And so looking at um, Churchill, JFK, uh, Franklin D. Roosevelt, and Sherman, the Civil War general, Ted Turner of CNN, uh, Abraham Lincoln, uh, Gandhi, and Martin Luther King. And how all of these people suffer from various forms of uh, mental illness, uh, particularly depression and bipolar. And what he says in this book is that actually these, the illnesses they, they suffered was not a source of weakness, but actually the source of their strength. Because those kinds of mental illness give you four things that are really important for leadership. Uh, one, uh, realism, and uh, resilience, creativity, and empathy. And it's the empathy one which I think is really significant. 
because it's in connection to our own pain that gives us the ability to connect to the pain, the pain of others. Mm. If we're disconnected from our own pain, it's very hard to connect to the pain of others. And so God allows us to go through these difficult experiences in order to develop an empathy that can, which is really valuable for community. Actually, the um, Mike Lloyd, who was my uh, tutor when I was training for ordination, he's a now a principal of a theological college. He went through a time of real darkness and depression when he was at theological college. And he said that there is a single pastoral bone in my body is only due to that time when he was at theological college. Because new community yeah, emerges, new potential for community emerges in the dark times. Mm -hmm. So new listening, new community, and thirdly, a new strategy. Out of this time will come a new, some new ideas. So now suddenly, Elijah knows what he's going to do. He has a new plan, a new plan of action. And there's this creativity that has emerged out of this time. From going from giving up, now he has a new plan. In 1865, Hudson Taylor had returned from China. And he was burnt out and exhausted. He was ready to give up. Hudson Taylor had been out to, to China. He'd tried various things, but uh, things hadn't really worked. He'd come back to England, and he felt completely depleted and drained. And yet he had this sense of the voice of God was emerging in this time. And he felt God say to him this, I intend to evangelize inland China. If you will walk with me, I will do it through you. But he just couldn't do it because he felt this burden of responsibility and the fear of failure, and he felt like God was saying go, and he was saying no, and he was worried that if he took these people out, they started recruiting people for the mission. If they died, if they got ill, it would be his fault. And so he was just full of turmoil. And then it was the 25th of June, 1865. He was invited by a friend down to Brighton. And he went down to Brighton, and he went to church in Brighton, listened to a talk she didn't enjoy at all, and he walked out of church and walked down to the beach. And at that time in Brighton, on a Sunday morning, the beach was empty because everyone was in church. And that day will come one day soon. And uh, so he walked down to the beach and it was where the tide had gone out completely. So the sand was exposing, walked along the beach. And as he walked, he had this sudden revelation. And he said this, and it's, it came to him suddenly. Why? If we are obeying the Lord, the responsibility rests with him, not with us. Thou, Lord, thou shalt have the burden. All the responsibility lies on thee, Lord Jesus. I surrender. The consequence rests with thee. Thou shalt direct, care for, guide me, and those who labour with me. I will ask for the workers to come forward. And he wrote in his Bible, prayed for 24 willing, skillful labourers at Brighton, June 25th, 1865. All was joy and peace. I felt as if I could fly up the hill. My dear wife thought Brighton had done wonders for me. And it had. It always does. 
this new strategy which brought about, I mean, the extent of Christianity in China today is a huge amount has, went, uh, has come from the work of Hudson Taylor um, over a hundred years ago. But it was a new strategy emerging from this time of darkness. What was that line from uh, the last James Bond film, Spectre, uh, where uh, Money Penny says to James Bond, says, "What are people saying about me?" And she says, "They think Mexico was a step too far. They think you're finished." And he says, "But what do you think?" And she says, "I think you're just getting started." <laughs> And there's something similar, I think, here with Elijah. He thinks, and maybe others are thinking, he's finished. This is it. But God knows that actually he's just getting started. And these times of pain, times of difficulty, these are times where we feel like it's all over, but actually it's just beginning. These are times where we discover our purpose and actually where we fulfill our purpose. For if you look at the life of Jesus... It was in that time of, he has two moments of particular darkness. One is when he's going in through the desert after he's been baptised, and he comes out of that and he knows what he's doing. He's got his message of the kingdom. The, his, his purpose is clear. And then the second one is on the cross. One time of darkness helped him discover his purpose. The second time of darkness was where he fulfilled his purpose. And this is the same for us. These difficult times that we will all face in life, they are not obstacles. They are the times where we will discover our purpose and ultimately fulfill our purpose. Amen. Amen. Amen.